you happen to be uh, new or visiting, or maybe this is just your second or third time, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and we are in a new-ish series uh, called Lament, Finding Hope in the Rubble. And uh, some people might argue it's, it's been kind of a, a dark series, but I think it's actually, at the end of the day, you're going to find out it's actually a very hopeful series. And so uh, one of the things we've talked about the last couple of weeks is, is how to define lament, because the reality is most of us don't use that word in our everyday lives as modern um, Americans in 2021, right? We don't just kind of talk about lamenting. And so here's our working definition of what lament is. This is what we're using throughout the series. It's short, it's easy to remember, and I think it's helpful. So lament, from a biblical perspective, is a prayer in pain that leads to trust or, or leads to hope. And so there, there's always that hope element present to lament. So the world faces tragedy without hope, but we as believers, as followers in Christ, there's always that trust element. There's always that hope element that differentiates us from the world. We also have talked about the last two weeks the fact that most biblical laments are actually broken down into four categories. Not always these four categories, but usually these four categories, and usually in this order. So this is the way a lament is broken down. Uh, if you haven't written this down in your notes, I would encourage you to jot this down, type it uh, in, in your iPhone notes or whatever it is, because one of the things I'm asking you to consider as, as a faith family is to, is to write your own lament. So we're gonna be through, in this series through the end of next month. So we, we still got four, five, six weeks, something like that. So I would encourage you to be thinking about, man, we've all walked through pain in our lives. We've all had dark seasons. I know many of you are there right now because I'm talking to many of you. So I know you're there. So I wanna encourage you, be thinking about writing your own lament. I think it's therapeutic for us. It's helpful for us. Uh, it's good for us to get in the habit of this kind of exchange and communication between us and God. So here are the four elements that you find in the scriptures. The first part of a lament is always turning to God. And we talked about the fact that this is important because many of us, our instinct when things get hard is to turn away from God, to walk away from God, right? Because he didn't deliver the way that we thought he should have delivered. But yet lament teaches us, no, no, no. Our first instinct as followers of Christ should always be when the pain comes, when the storm comes, we turn our heart's attention and our heart's affection to God in the pain. The second part, and a lot of people are really uncomfortable with this, especially if you grew up in the church world like I did, because we kind of we grew up with this idea that this is disrespectful, right? But the, the second part of lament is pouring out our complaint or complaints to God, right? And again, a lot of people would say, whoa, 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 that's disrespectful. Well, the only problem with that is laments are all throughout the pages of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. So apparently, uh, God didn't consider them disrespectful. Uh, the third element is to ask for intervention. It's to ask for God's help. That's the moment where we come to God. We're saying, God, I love you. I'm coming to you because I believe in you. Here's my complaint. Here's my pain. And I'm asking you to do something. I'm, a I'm asking you to actually show up. I know that you're the one that has the power to intervene into my life, to step into my pain and my loss and my darkness and actually do something in my heart or my circumstances or both. And so we come to God and we do just unapologetically ask for his help. Like, God, I, I need you. I need you to show up. I need you to show out. I need you to do something in my life right now. I'm drowning. And then the fourth part, our fourth element, and, and maybe the most important one, is, is always the declaration of trust, right? And, and that's the beautiful thing about those of us who follow Jesus is that in the middle of the storms, when things seem most hopeless, we can turn to God and say, God, I, this is painful. 
God, I, I, I don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, but I, my hope and my trust is in you. You are still good. You are still God. And so as we continue diving deeper into the art of lament this morning, we're gonna turn our attention to that second element we just talked about that many people are very, frankly, are just kind of uncomfortable with, and that's pouring out our complaints to God. Now, here's the interesting thing. No other world religion or worldview offers this level of real and raw engagement with God who actually welcomes it. We're gonna be in Psalm 88. This morning, I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it on, open it up, go to Psalm 88. Uh, This particular Psalm has been called the darkest Psalm in the entire Bible. It is painfully raw, it is real, and quite frankly, it is dark. And yet, I would argue it teaches us so much about the beauty of lament. And so, listen, I'm, I'm aiming this morning to take you, to walk you to a dark place. And I don't apologize for that because I believe the fact of the matter is that sometimes you've got to go to dark places to discover light. Now, many of you already know that to be true in your own experience. Now, just kind of a, kind of a side note here, I, I would argue that one reason that, that many people in our culture and our world tend to reject our version, our kind of Americanized version of Christianity is that it doesn't feel real to them. You know what, you know what I mean by that? Oftentimes it, it can kind of feel fake, right? So, so when people who are living a real life and they're walking through real pain and they have real struggles and they're experiencing real problems in life, they step into a church like this one or maybe they tune in online and all they see is kind of happy, clappy, we're so happy, look at us, we're all smiling all the time. I think a lot of people kind of see that and their instinct is like, man, that's not my life. My my life is not that perfect and it's not that happy and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of sorrow and there's a lot of darkness. And so if this is what it means to follow Jesus is just to be kind of happy, clappy all the time people, I guess following Jesus isn't really for me. But the reality is that only happens in churches and with Christians that neglect much of what the scriptures have to teach us about pain and suffering. I've mentioned this to you before. I didn't know this until I started studying for this series but over a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Did you know that? About 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. That was the songbook of God's people in the Old Testament and even uh, the the early church as well. 33 to 40% lament. There are entire books in the Bible dedicated to lament, lamentations, Job. We see Jesus lamenting in the garden the night before he's crucified. We see, see him lamenting on the cross, quoting Psalm 22. And so the Bible is painfully honest about suffering in this world and in this life. It doesn't gloss over any of that. And I believe that God gave us these tools like Psalm 88, almost as a lifeline so that when pain and suffering enters our life, we have something to cling to and it gives us the words to pray back to God. I like the way um, author Paul, Paul Miller puts it. Miller writes this, this. This is on the screen for you. He says, there is no such thing as a lament-free life. In fact, if your life is lament-free, you aren't loving well. Ouch. To love is to lament, to let your heart be broken by something. If you don't lament over the broken things in your world, then your heart shuts down. Your living, vital relationship with God dies a slow death because you open the door to unseen doubt and become quietly cynical. Cynicism moves you away from God while lament pushes you into his presence. 
So oddly enough, not lamenting leads to unbelief. Reality wins and hope dies. Put another way, the reality of a broken world triumphs over the new reality of a redeemed world. You miss resurrection and get stuck in death. Now, church, listen, I, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us as a, as a faith family, as a community of believers called New Life Community Church. And so we must learn to step into the darkness of our lives and the pain and suffering of our lives and lament in a way that leads us to God, leads us to trust and hope. Now, just a little bit of background on Psalm 88 before we dive in. This psalm was written by a man named Haman. Haman was a prophet in the Old Testament. He apparently was a very skilled songwriter and musician. In fact, he was handpicked by King David to be one of three kind of primary worship leaders in the temple. So this is a man who would have led hundreds, probably thousands of people in song and worship on a consistent basis. Um, he was, in essence, he was King David's Mike Watkins. Right? That, that's, who, that's who Haman was. So this is a skilled man, he's a godly man. Interestingly enough, he only wrote one Psalm, Psalm 88. At least that's the only one that got recorded for us in, in scripture. And it's a super dark passage. But I believe it's an absolute gift to us because I think it gives us the language for us to pray back to God in seasons of darkness and loss. And so let's jump into what Haman writes for us beginning in verse one. He writes this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And so right out of the gate, we see a couple of things. This brother is in pain. Right? This is not some minor inconvenience in life that he's walking through. This is not a whimper. This brother is crying out. Right? He's not shaking his fist at the air. He's, he's bringing his pain to God, right? And there are all these hallmarks of intimacy in this psalm between Haman and God. Notice he says right from the beginning, O Lord, God of my salvation. There's a, there's a sense of nearness between God and Haman. There's a sense of closeness between them, even in unspeakable pain. Now that's the first application point that I really wanna just kind of drive home with you guys this morning. Truth number one, pain can draw you closer to God. Pain can absolutely draw you closer to God. This is the paradox of the kingdom of God. See, our, our world teaches us that, that pain and suffering and loss is, is bad. It's just bad. There's no redeeming quality in pain or suffering. And so you should just run away from pain and suffering in your life. And if, it, if you just kind of accidentally bump into it in your life, you just need to kind of stuff it down, forget about it, and move on. It should be avoided because nothing good can come from pain or suffering and loss. That's what our world tells us. And yet... In my experience, with very few exceptions, it's almost always been in the tough seasons of life that I find that I grow deeper in my walk with Christ. Let me ask you something. Do you, do you tend to pray more when everything is going perfectly in your life or do you tend to pray more when things seem like they're falling apart in life? Do you tend to seek God's face more in the moments of desperation in your life or when things are going flawlessly in your life? This is true also, by the way, on a, on a human level. I, I love my wife now after 17 years more than I did when we first got married or when we were dating. Now, why is that the case? 
Well, I would argue it's because, man, we've, we've been through painful seasons in life. We've walked through tragedy and tears. We've had good days, we've had bad days. Walking hand in hand through pain has driven our relationship into deeper love for one another than if we had never walked through any difficult, painful, dark circumstances in our lives. This just kind of plays out across the board in human relationships. I remember in high school, uh, playing football and back, back in the day, I don't think they're allowed to do it anymore, but back in the day in football, in the summer, as you got ready for the season in the fall, they would have what they called two-a-days. And what that meant was instead of practicing once a day, which was brutal enough in Birmingham summer with 100 degree temperatures and 100, 100% humidity, we do it twice in a, in a day. We do that for a month leading up to the season. And what we kind of discovered is that, man, what that, what that did for us is those group of guys who were out there sweating together and bleeding together and fighting together, getting ready for the battles that awaited us come the fall. What that did is that kind of that suffering and that pain that we went to forged us together. We became closer as a consequence of the pain and the suffering that we walked through together getting ready for the season. And so even guys that I maybe didn't even know before the season started, man, by the time the season started, we had gone through two days together. Those were my brothers. And I'd been through the battles with those guys, man. I might even know him well, but you better not mess with him. He's my, that's my dude, right? We've been through the, the battles together. And so here's the reality that we kind of come to learn. And this is not true, only true in human relationships. It's true in our relationship with God. Pain forges deepness in relationship. We don't like that. It's the opposite of what our culture sells us, but our culture sells us a lot of lies. Pain forges deepness in relationship. C.S. Lewis famously put it this way. Lewis said, pain insists upon being attended to. In other words, there are a lot of things in life you can ignore. You can ignore success. You can ignore pleasure. You can ignore kind of all kinds of different things, but pain forces you to deal with the issue. Lewis goes on to say, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, Christians throughout the centuries have kind of understood, I think, and embraced this connection between suffering and going deeper with God. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes in Philippians 3. He says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Now, we all like the first part of that verse. We're like, yes, give me some Jesus power in my life. I want his power in my life as I walk through life. And we're all about that. But notice the second part of the verse. He says, yes, I know the power of his resurrection, but also the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now the world would look at a passage like that and say that that man is is a madman. Why why would any sane person write that? But here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, not only do I want to know the power of Jesus in his resurrection, I want to walk with him in his sufferings. In other words, he's going, man, I want to go deeper with Jesus, whatever it takes. Paul understood this reality that pain can drive us deep into the heart of God. So friend, let me just encourage you. Don't let the pain that you're walking through in your life drive you away from God. Use your pain, use your loss, use your suffering as a launch pad into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with your creator. Friend, listen, I promise you, he will meet you at the crucible of your suffering. And as we see throughout this psalm, as we're gonna get into it, 
Haman is driven to God in prayer day and night. He's constantly going before God. He, he allows this pain that he's walking through to push him deeper into God. And he articulates his pain to God in really breathtaking, raw ways. So what we're gonna see him do is he's gonna paint three pictures for God of how his pain feels to him. He's gonna take these three pictures and he's gonna present them to God. So let's start in verse three. Here's the first picture he paints for us, for us of his pain. He says, for my soul is full of troubles. Anybody troubled out there this morning? Haman was troubled as well when he wrote this psalm. And my life draws near to Sheol. This is the place of the dead, saying I'm dying. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Now that's a Bible verse you will not find on a coffee mug or a t-shirt in a Christian bookstore. And yet it's here for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God for a purpose and a reason. And Haman is saying, God, listen, I'm alive, but I feel dead. I am breathing, but I feel like I'm already buried and in the grave. Can you relate to what this man is saying here? Have you ever felt alive, but so numb and empty that you just felt dead inside? Haman is giving us the words to pray back to God in those moments. He's saying, God, I feel dead and buried and gone. God, don't you see me? Can't you hear my cries of pain? That's the first picture he paints to God. God, I, I'm dead and in the grave already. I'm alive, but I'm a dead man. Verse six, he paints another picture for God of his pain. He says, you have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions of the dark and deep. This is language for, for the ocean, for water. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with your waves. Selah. Now scholars believe that word selah in the Psalms these were often songs that were sung as the people of God would gather to worship him. So could you imagine us getting together and, and actually singing this psalm as a, as a worship to God with all the pain and all the rawness of it? But then with that word selah, it kind of means pause or reflect. And we don't know what that looked like if they just kind of paused in the middle of the song for 10 seconds or 15 seconds or five minutes. Just, and basically it was the worship leader's way of saying, I want you to contemplate what we just sung. I want you just to move past it really quickly and just kind of sing it mindlessly. I want, I want this to sit with you for a minute. I want you to let this truth kind of settle and rest in, your, rest in your soul. And so Haman paints a second picture of his desperation. He goes, God, now, now I feel like I'm drowning. God, I feel like I'm in deep, dark water and your waves are crashing over me. God, I, God, I can't even breathe. God, I feel overwhelmed. I can't, I can't keep treading water in this storm. God, what are you doing? Where are you? This is an incredibly honest and raw prayer from this godly man who loves God, but he's going through deep sorrow. And so he paints the picture of him being in the grave, paints the picture of him drowning in the ocean, and he paints one more picture of his pain for God. Verse eight, he says, you have caused my companions, my friends, to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim from sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. 
So Haman is saying, God, not only do I feel dead and buried, not only do I feel like I'm drowning in an ocean, a, a sea of darkness and pain, I feel completely forgotten. I feel completely forgotten by you, by all of my friends, by everybody in my life. Now I'm just gonna guess that some of you are probably in that same boat. And you just feel abandoned at this point in your life. Forgotten about by God, by people in your life that you thought had your back, you thought were close to you and they walked away in your moments of greatest need. Look what else he says in verse 18. He says, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Your translation may say, darkness is my closest friend. That's what he's saying. Darkness is my closest friend. Have you ever been there? That almost sounds like a country song, doesn't it? Darkness is my closest friend. He's going, what he's saying is, God, I've got no one. God, I've got no one. I'm all alone. My, my closest friend, the only person I have to talk to in life right now is darkness. It's my depression. God, my eyes are heavy from my sorrow, from crying to sleep every single night. Every day, God, I come to you. Every morning, I cry out with my arms stretched out wide. God, if you don't hear my voice, will you see my hands? Will you hear my pleas? I feel abandoned by you. But all my friends, everybody in my life, I am forgotten and I am forsaken. And so he paints for God three very vivid, dark pictures of the pain that he's experiencing. He's saying, God, I feel like I'm dead. God, I feel like I'm drowning. God, I feel like I am forgotten and abandoned. He's saying, God, what have you done to me? God, what have you done to me? He's expressing his pain in very real ways to God. And here's one thing I think that Haman is teaching us. I think we would be wise to listen. This is our second application in the text this morning. Number two, silence is a soul killer. Silence is a soul killer. Man, listen, we, we have to learn how to put words to our pain and express those, those things to God. I, I can tell you um, a, a, as a pastor and one of the things that I get oftentimes are, are couples who, who come to me or call me or email me and uh, say, hey, listen, we need, we need marriage counseling. Like thing, things are not good. And I can tell you, man, I would, I would much rather hear from these couples that are in distress, I would much rather hear them say, man, we are arguing and we are fighting, we are at each other's throats every single day because that tells me there's still hope, there's still communication, they still care enough to talk. When I get really concerned is when they say, we haven't talked in weeks, in months, we're just roommates. Because then I know things have gotten very, very serious and the relationship has been broken, there's gonna be a, a lot more help needed there. I love the way Alexander McLaren, he's a Scottish-born pastor um, in the 1800s. He writes this, doubts, you could also say pain. Doubts are better put into plain speech than lying diffused and darkening like poisonous mist in the heart. A thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. Now, here, here's the problem for many of you right now, I would suspect. Life is hard. Things didn't turn out the way you hoped that they would. And you're giving God the silent treatment, aren't you? And for some of you, it's been days. For some of you, it's been weeks. For some of you, it's been years since you've had a legitimate, honest conversation with God. Because at some point in your life, 
you prayed a prayer in desperation and God didn't deliver the way that you thought that he should or would and your marriage still fell apart and your kids still got sick and died and your business still folded and you gave up on God. And if that's where you're at, let me just say, man, I'm I'm so sorry that you walked through that. I kind of understand how you got there, but I I just want to plead with you to get back in the game. God hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on God. God hasn't forgotten about you. He sees you. He cares about you. He loves you. And see, here's the thing about lament. Lament helps us refuse to give up on God. It helps us refuse to give up on God. Lament says, God, I'm I'm drowning over here. God, I feel like you didn't show up when you needed to. I feel like you failed me. I don't understand, God. I'm upset at you. I'm angry at you. But I'm still coming to you. And I'm still praying. And I'm still knocking. I'm not giving up on you, God, because at the end of the day, God, you are all that I have. See, lament refuses to give up on God, but friend, we have to articulate our pain and our suffering to God. We've gotta stop stuffing it down and let's just get past it and let's just forget about it and let's move on and let's press past the pain. No, 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 no. Slow down, friend. Haman is teaching us, slow down, feel the pain, feel the loss, stand in it, sit in it, grieve it, and then take it to God. Shout your prayer through the tears if you must, but don't give up on God. Fight to trust God even through the tears because silence is a soul killer. Now the third application point is tied right into it. Here's number three. Christians experience deep pain too. Did you know that? Now that almost seems so obvious that I I struggled with whether or not to put this in the the sermon notes this week because it feels like I, I really shouldn't even have to mention this But my experience with many Christians is that they really have kind of been lied to about this. And and, and I don't know, maybe you're here and maybe you're one of those people because a a lot of people tend to have this perception that, hey, listen, I I gave my life to Jesus. And so everything in my life should just be kind of like unicorns and rainbows and success and win after win in my life, right? Like somehow when I follow Jesus, this kind of spiritual dust gets sprinkled on me. Now I have like this superpower of protection where nothing bad is gonna happen to me in my life. So there's kind of this idea that, hey man, Christians should never struggle. Christians should never have anxiety. Christians should never have depression. Christians should never get sick. Certainly a, a follower of Jesus should never have to walk through divorce. Should never have to have a, a child die. Right? Wrong. Listen to the rest of the psalm that Haman writes for us in verse 10. He says, he's talking to God here. Right? These are rhetorical questions. A lot of people would say this is, this is disrespectful, and yet here it is in the scriptures for us. He's talking to God. Do you work wonders for the dead, God? Rhetorical question. Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? That's the place of destruction. Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Can you hear the pain in this man's voice? God, why are you hiding from me? God, you know I love you. God, you know I trust you. 
Where are you at? 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. Apparently this man had a difficult, traumatic childhood. Some of you had difficult, traumatic childhoods. The Bible speaks to that. God sees you. He says, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Darkness is my closest friend. This is a man who loves God. This is a prophet. This is a chief worship leader of God's people who led thousands of people in worship on a consistent basis. And here he is, in essence, cross-examining God with rhetorical questions. God, can the, can the dead rise up and praise you? God, can I tell people about you from the grave? What he's saying, in essence, is, God, where are you? What are you thinking? God, are you asleep? Wake up. This is a godly man walking in deep darkness and despair, a man who knows God, who is loved by God, and yet he is suffering deeply. Now, at this point, there are, I think, many well-meaning Christians who would stop me and say, yeah, Chris, that's cool, that's Old Testament stuff, but what about, what about the New Testament? What about the passage where, where Paul in Thessalonians writes, and he says, rejoice always in every circumstance, give thanks, and I would say to that, yes and amen. But I would also say that I, many times in our life, the pathway to rejoicing oftentimes comes through the gate of lament. The pathway to joy and rejoicing oftentimes comes through the gateway of lament. I like the way Spurgeon said it. He said, we, he's talking about us, followers of Jesus, not, not the world. We have our times of natural sadness. We have too our times of depression when we cannot do otherwise than to hang our heads. Seasons of lethargy will also befall us from changes in our natural frame or from weariness. The trees are not always green. The sap sleeps in them in the winter and we have winters too. I also like the way Michael Wilcock, a Bible scholar put it. He says this, this darkness can happen to a believer, this Psalm says. It doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who does not deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. This doesn't mean you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts because only in the next world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why. But there are answers, there is purpose, and eventually you will know it. A Christian, I just want to say to you, and, I, and some of you really need to hear this this morning, you, you can do everything right and everything can still fall apart. You can do everything right and things can still fall apart. Listen, God never promised us a pain-free life. But what he did promise us is that he would walk through the dark alleys of life with us. As one commentary writer put it, the Lord never has his children in the furnace without joining them in it. He is with us and he is for us, even when it's dark. And that leads us to our last application, number four. Sometimes God gives us darkness as a platform for greatness. 
That's going to mess with some of y'all's theology. Sometimes God gives us pain as a platform for greatness. And again, a lot of people don't like this, but Haman is clear. God is the one who is leading him into these painful pathways. This confuses a lot of people, but here's what I found to be true. Listen, there is nothing that makes God look bigger and more beautiful than when his sons and daughters walk through the fire and they cling to Jesus as their highest treasure anyway. Because the truth of the matter is, listen, if you're smiling in life because you just got a new raise, a big raise, you just got a new bins, praise God, I hope that all those things happen for you this year. But listen, when that happens for you, the world looks at you and says, of course you have joy. Of course you're smiling. You just got a big raise and you're driving a new bins. But when the bottom falls out, when your marriage is hanging on by a thread, when your kid gets sick and doesn't get healed, but dies, when your dream job never comes, and you're still found clinging to Jesus, and your hope being found in him and him alone, the world has no answer for that, and that is winsome, that is attractive, and that is beautiful. And listen, over the course of the last year or so, I've seen many of you in this church family, platform your pain for greatness in the kingdom of Jesus. I have. I just buried one of my friends this last week and he did that. His last two or three weeks of life as his body was racked with cancer, the only thing he wanted to do was point people to the hope that he had in Jesus, his nurses, his doctors, his caretakers, his solace workers. The world can't explain that. Purpose in pain. We have a young elder here in his mid-30s, Tyler. He's a warrior, man, and he's battling cancer right now. And I've watched him time and time again take the pain that he never would have chosen for himself or his family and platform that for God's glory. A young family in our church who are some of my heroes that have buried two babies in the last year and a half taken the pain that they never would have chosen and chosen to platform it for the greatness of King Jesus. All, all of them taking in this pain and saying, Jesus, this hurts. Jesus, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what's happening here, but here's what I know. Even in the pain, even in the sorrow, even through the tears, my heart's cry is, Jesus, you are still enough. You are still enough. And we may have to scream it through the tears at times, but Jesus, you are enough. Friend, I want you to listen to me. Your pain can be a platform for greatness in the kingdom of God. Your story is not over yet and God is not finished with you. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, what then? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. He's saying, listen, I let my own son walk through incredible pain and sorrow and suffering and death. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not along with him graciously give us all things? And so friend, perhaps today, it's time for you to stop burying your pain. Stop stuffing it down. Stop pretending like it doesn't exist. Start pretending like it doesn't hurt. Maybe it's time for you to bring it to the one who can redeem and restore your pain. Friend, why would you ever try to go it alone? 
would you ever try to go it alone? You have a God that will absolutely walk through the fires of this life with you. He is the way maker. He's a miracle worker. He has no rival. He has no equal. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that Jesus himself was despised and rejected. He was a man of great sorrow. He was acquainted with deep grief. Friend, we have a savior who walks with us in the pain. I had a, a young lady um, in our church family reach out and uh, share with me a, a poem of lament that she wrote this last week. And just by way of encouragement, I, I mentioned this last week, I'm encouraging everybody in our church family who, who would be willing to do it. We're gonna be in this series through February. I wanna encourage you to write a lament of your own. This is something that we need to get better at as God's people. We need to become proficient at this language of lament to get through the tough seasons of life. So I would encourage you, be thinking about writing your own lament over the course of the next four or five weeks. I'd love it if you would share those with me. I, I won't use it in a sermon without your permission, but I'd love it if you would share that. You can drop those um, at info at nlcca.org. But I just wanna share this from a, a young lady in our church. This is her lament. What do you see when you stand in the mirror? Do you see a child of the king, your beauty and your worth? I look and I see the chains that I am wrapped up in. I see the scars on my arms and try to cover them up to act like they don't exist. I am filled with shame, regret, and fear, weighed down by all my sins that I tried to hide. I try to run from them, yet they just slow me down. I look and I see someone who tries to cover up everything with a big blanket and sit alone in the dark. Getting so caught up in all of my fears of worth, beauty and belonging, wondering why God loves me and he wants me. I don't like what I see in the mirror because what I see scares me. I see an ugly sinner that is weary of running away from her dark thoughts. Yet it feels like I keep running into the fog. I don't see my beauty, I see the scars. I don't see my worth, I see they're better off without me. I don't see a daughter of the king, I see someone who trembles at the darkness of these lies. These are not God's truth, these are all lies from Satan that I believe. And yet I run to the Lord. With my shame, regret, and fears, for Isaiah 40 says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Lord, I don't see my worth, but as you said in Matthew 10, 31, Fear not, therefore, you are worth more than many sparrows. Lord, I don't see my beauty, yet the Song of Solomon says in chapter four, you are altogether beautiful. I don't understand why you want me or call me your child, yet First John says we are called the children of God. Lord, I am a slave to fear and tremble at the name, but you are with me as it is said in Isaiah 41, do not fear, for I am with you. I call on you, God to help me fight my battles. Friend, if you're in pain this morning, if you're walking through the darkness, fog of life, if you can't see the way out, my encouragement to you is keep crying out. Keep coming to God, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep praying. God is doing something and one day you'll be able to see what it is 
clearly, but until that day comes, may our collective prayer as the children of God be, God, even in the pain, even in the fog of the darkness of night, God, you are our highest treasure and we will place our hope in no one else but you. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing these truths back to God. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I ask that you would forgive us, God, and I pray that you would forgive me for the times where I've given you the silent treatment, where I've encountered pain or a storm in life, and instead of running to you as my good father, I've turned away from you and run away from you. God, would you teach us, would you train our hearts, would you train our souls to run to you in the fire, not to turn away from you, God, that you're there, that you wanna platform the pain and darkness in our life, the suffering that we experience for greatness in your kingdom, for your glory and for our ultimate God. Teach us that you love us, that you're there for us, God. I pray if there's anyone here watching online who hasn't yet made that commitment, they've never really given their life to Jesus. They've never surrendered all of their pain and all of their suffering and said, Lord, this is all yours. You are my God and I'm gonna walk with you for the rest of my life. If there's somebody out there that hasn't done that, God, I pray that today would be that day of salvation for them, that they would cross that threshold of belief and find life and hope in you, even through the darkness, even through the storms, even through the tears, even through the pain, and because that's what Jesus can do in our life. And so we love you, God. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the blood he shed to set us free. And we pray all these things in his beautiful and strong name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Let's sing to our God.